Hey, welcome to another episode of Ruthless Hoops. I'm Danny. And I'm Alex. And, uh, yeah, today we're gonna, uh, it's been about, what, has been about a week since the finals ended? Yeah, it has. It's been a, a crazy week. It seems like that was, uh, lifetimes ago. It does seem like it's been a long time ago. So I think, uh, last time we talked it was, uh, before Game 5. Right. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll delve a little bit into Game 5 and the overall series, and then, uh, Moving past this last season, uh, lots of crazy shit going on right now. Yeah, it's it's been a very uh, action-packed day here so far. It has indeed. So let's uh, let's wrap up the finals before we get into that. Uh, first, let's talk about Game Five. Alex, what stood out to you, man? All right. So, <clears throat> Golden State is a great team. And then I we've been over that so many times already, and it's not really any secret or anything like that. But no, no. Cleveland played a a very good game in Game Five. They there weren't any aside from Kyrie in the last quarter going zero for six, no assists. Uh, he only missed five minutes in the game, but laying the goose egg in get in the last quarter. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, but I mean, he still only missed five minutes. If he was truly injured, you know, and with that being said, we have a plethora of examples to point to of players that have gone above and beyond when they're injured in the finals. But the thing, that didn't even, that wasn't even the main thing to me. The main thing that stuck out to me was Cleveland shot 65% from the free throw line. Uh, They ended up losing the game by nine points, and they missed eight free throws. Uh, if you take that, if, if, if they even make half of those or three quarters of those and it turns it into a two possession game or a one possession game, I, I think it, it, it would be a very different narrative right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they could have won for sure if they kept it closer. It kind of seemed to me though, like Golden State figured it out though, even with those free throws. But I mean, even still, so say you make. If they make seven of those nine, then they're only down by three. I mean, you at least give your team the possibility to make those big shots to send it into overtime or what have you. And with the yeah, amount correct. of the scorers that are there on Golden State or on Cleveland, excuse me, I mean, that's the position that you would want to be in if you are down, obviously. Yeah, and in close game, too, like we discussed on the last pod, it could have Golden State could have had, you know, that 3 1 on the mind. You know, a little doubt creeping in. There was one point Kevin Love missed three free throws in a row. Yeah. Not that he's like a top ten free throw shooter, but he's very good. So that, that was a little surprising. Yeah. Uh, LeBron's had free, free throw woes throughout the season. He's turned it up in the playoffs, but it definitely reared its head in that game five. Well, and I, th- I think even in our second podcast, I brought this up <clears throat> when they were playing Indianapolis. Because uh, they only won by, what? one, two points, and they had missed those free throws. LeBron especially had missed those free throws. And I made it a point then to even say, like, against teams like Golden State, you can't miss free shots. Well, because Golden State, they don't miss free throws. Exactly. Unless unless you're putting Zaza or Dre to the line. Right. But honestly, that's just another difference between the teams. I mean, Golden State is... 
I mean, I think they're almost indisputably the best shooting team of all time. But even, I mean, I mean but free throws are one thing. Because if you look at the other stats in the game, Golden or Cleveland shot almost the exact same number of three-pointers. I think they only shot like three less or something like that. Had a better three-point percentage. Had a better field goal percentage. I mean, they won in almost every single statistical category. Yeah, and they were leading, I think, at halftime, right? They were. They were. They had more rebounds. They had more blocks. They got beat on the steals, and they had a few more turnovers, but not anything, like, less than five. Yeah. No, you're right. Those free throws definitely made a difference. Watching the game, it seemed to me like the talent of Golden State just prevailed. Cleveland wouldn't have been close either if J.R. Smith wasn't going fanatical from downtown. He was like six for his first six. Sure. Something like that. So watching the game, I kind of got the impression, even if Cleveland did win the game, I think the Warriors' just overall talent and what they can throw at you, they would have taken one a game six or seven, even though I was thinking differently before that. Yeah, but I, I mean, but you still, you, you played a, you played a state, survive another day. I mean... You gotta play perfect, really, to beat Golden State. Like you said, Cleveland did real well in all these other categories. Did poor in free throws. So that was it. Yeah, it's just it's sad to see it's sad to see a team with such talent, such as Cleveland, essentially lose the game, in my opinion, on such a fundamental thing. I mean, that's that's like bread and butter stuff. You know, they were doing everything else so well. Kevin Love had a, a, a kind of an awful game as far as the scoring was concerned. Like, an absolutely awful game as, as far as the scoring was concerned. Did I don't he, think he, he didn't score a single point. Did he go to Dusek? I didn't realize that. <clears throat> but, I mean, so even with that, with him not scoring any points and them still only losing that much and it, having it just be because of such a fundamental piece of the game, I think that really just adds a level of, of shock and kind of heartbreak, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think it was important in the game, but that's just the game of bomb, man. Sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't. I think overall, Golden State, they just proved uh, too superior of a team. Too many two-way players. And Cleveland, I mean, they don't need to hang their heads. They really played great in this series. Uh, they were just going against... Uh, uh, honestly, a force that hasn't really been seen before, at least in this incarnation. Cleveland's defense was pretty bad. Yeah, and that was a story throughout the season. I mean, they just—they are what they are. Right. Really, their only elite defenders are LeBron and uh, Tristan, and Tristan didn't even have the best—you know—the best series. Well, and Love. Well, I mean, we we covered this from games one through four, but Love had good defensive stands for sure. Yeah, and I know you brought up, too, Kyrie's goose egg in the fourth. I don't really think we need to hold anything against Kyrie. You know, he, he played perfect, really, games three and four. You know, played very well in game five till the last quarter. He's probably getting a little worn out, you know, doing that ISO over and over and over again against great defenders and hitting at a high percentage. And he also banged his knee his knee that he has had hurt before. So I think he was a little slower in that fourth as well. Sure. But I don't, I don't hold one bad quarter against him, you know. Cleveland wouldn't even been in the game if Kyrie wasn't playing excellent throughout the series. Yeah, I mean, going 0 for 6 without any assists or anything, 
for the, I mean, the second the second guy on a LeBron James team in in a closeout game like that, I don't. I mean, that's not that's like an awful quarter. Like that's a terrible quarter. It's not even like a. It's, it's awful. But how are the previous seven eleven quarters from Kyrie? I mean, he played perfect in Game Four. That was a closeout game. Right. I'm, I'm right. 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 So this is the difference, though. The difference to me is like. If you're gonna will yourself to win, you have to will yourself to win. I mean, he's Mr. Big. Like he had the shot in Cleveland last year. I just you gotta expect like that level of production. You need like an Isaiah Thomas style game when he you know had the broken ankle. <laughs> I'm not holding the quarter against you, man. He played a great series. He came up short in the fourth quarter. You know, after clearly being hobbled, I mean, he slammed his knee, had to get shots and shit at halftime. Right. You know, sometimes the ball doesn't fall your way. I mean, you can pick one quarter out of any finals game against any player, you know what I mean? And yeah. like you said, he did, you know, he's already proven himself on the biggest stage. Yeah. Kevin Love goose-egged the whole fucking game. How about that? Yeah, right. Kevin Love is a clearly, like, not as good of a player as Kyrie Irving, nor is he regarded as any more than, like, the number three Ex- kind of relatively expendable number three in that group. Uh, yeah, let's get to that a little later in the pod. Uh, definitely something is going to go down in Cleveland. Well, something already has. Let's save that for a little later, though. We'll bounce around a little the rest of the NBA. Yeah, yeah. One last thought on the finals. Um, I mean, I think you you got to do it. You got to... Uh, got to think about where this Warriors team places among uh, all-time teams. 15-1 and one playoff run, which I think is tied for the second best ever with uh, the Shaq-Kobe Lakers. And there are a couple of older teams. They have played 16 games, but uh, like the 83 Sixers, I think they only had one loss in the playoffs. But uh, that alone right there, you know, best playoff record ever against a pretty quality slate of opponents, very quality finals opponent. Yeah. Uh, point differential ever in the playoffs. See, uh, best point differential ever in the season. They only won 67 games, but I think they definitely could have won more if they put their mind to it. Again, Plus, saying only only 67 games. Like, 67 games is an incredible amount to win. Oh, yeah, it is incredible. But since, we're put, since this conversation is about, you know, <laughs> greatest team of all time, it's not a mind-blowing number. Well, and I will say this, that there's a, I mean, their Western Conference championship team was minus their best player, like one of the best players in the league. If if Ka- Kawhi had been playing, I mean, like, they were up by 20 when he went out. So, I mean, it's hypothetical, but I wouldn't say that they had excellent competition in, the, in that. I mean, Kawhi Leonard was out. Right. You, you know, that's right. And that's why, and that's why I don't... I wouldn't call them the best team of all time. Um, but I think you have to consider Cleveland. I think they were better than a lot of champions. I mean, they didn't have a great regular season, obviously, but they dominated in the playoffs. They were actually scoring even more higher efficiency than Golden State. They only had one loss. Until the finals, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, you know, Golden State, Cleveland played game, but watching Cleveland... You know, aside from the first couple games, you know, missing their free throws in Game 5, I thought they showed up and played very well. And, it's, you know, this just wasn't enough. It's Golden State, you know. 
well, they got two MVPs, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, oh, and other guys, Clay Thompson. Oh, and they got Iguodala off the bench. Everyone on their team can play offense and defense. Uh, you know, they have the best shooter of all time. <laughs> They're just fucking loaded. I, I don't think there's ever been as talented a team if you could just combine all their individual talent in a vacuum. I think it's cool to stay hands down. Do you think they could win not one, not two, not three, not four, not five? <laughs> I mean, what, what's their oldest player? Iguodala. Uh, out of the big four, though. No, uh, no, one, no one's older than 27, right? I think they're all under 28. I think they're around 28. I think, I think, I think Clay Thompson's think at 28 or something. 27, Clay's maybe 26. They're all in their primes. No, I think Clay's older than that. I think Clay's closer to Kevin Love's age. I don't think so. I don't. I, maybe twenty-eight. He's not older than me. I'm twenty-eight. Yeah, I'll we'll have to research this. I'm I'm almost positive that he's not older than that. Kevin but Durant's kind of old too. I'm not sure how old he is. Twenty-eight, I think. Loves twenty-eight. Yeah, or uh, Durant. Oh, Durant. I don't know. They're all about whatever it is exactly. They're all in their primes. They all got they all got four, five, six great years in them. Yeah. Uh, they keep the band together. I mean, I mean, they can win a lot. It's it's hard to even put a cap on it. Yeah, but, uh, I'm not I'm not ready to put them up on like the pantheon of of greatest teams of all time yet. Well, individual season. Individual team, I mean, I think, to me, I don't have a greatest team of all time. I think it's too hard to compare, you know, these amazing teams from different eras. But to me, Golden State's on the very short list. Um, the 88, the Showtime Lakers that won 33 in a row, stomped through the playoffs. They're there. Obviously, the 72-10 uh, and 10 Bulls team, you know, dominating the playoffs. You know, they're obviously in the conversation. To me, you know, maybe pick one of the Celtics teams that won nine in a row. It's hard to leave them off. You know, it's a different era. To me, those three teams and throw in this Warriors team, I think they're the only teams that really belong in the conversation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like you were saying, it's so hard. You can't, like, comparing generational teams like that when there's such a difference in the game. Um and I, I'm not, I don't buy into, like, the, well, now the three-point shooting cancels out the, the no hand-checking and stuff like that. I think hand-checking still changes completely the way that a lot of these step-back threes would be taken, a lot of the, the way that the iso ball would be played and stuff like that. Uh, so it's hard, even with the, the Bulls of the 90s, I mean, they were able to essentially destroy every team in the playoffs – I mean, they never went to a game seven. So yeah. <clears throat> for them to be able to do that is pretty incredible. But again, I mean, it's it's just it's a different it's a different league. Season teams. What's that? I'm more talking an individual season from a team, right? Just like the best fucking season, playoffs, regular season, talent level combined. Like I was saying, I, it's hard to say one's better than the other. I mean the. You know, era by era, the rules change. You know, you can kind of imagine what Scottie Pippen would do against Curry and Clay, et cetera, et cetera. 
But, uh, you know, those Lakers teams, that was the best team in the 80s. Bulls team, you could pick a number of Bulls teams, but the 72-10 and 10 team, I think, Jordan's first full season back from his retirement, that was their best squad. I think Boston was a better team in the 80s. You think they had a better individual season than the uh, Showtime Lakers that won uh, 33 in a row? Yeah, I mean, that one, that, that was it. That was a good year. Maybe the one, that one year where they got, the one year where Bill Walton played uh, and was able to make it through the whole season, that was an incredible year from the Celtics. I can't remember what year. That was like 80, 84. Oh, 86, I think. That was, that was incredible. That was, that was probably, yeah, it was 86. That right. Might, that was yeah, the best team. So here's what I think you can say. Golden State is the best. He's the, they're the best team of this decade for sure. This generation, I think since, I think since the, uh, what was it? 96. 96. I mean, is there a better team, you know, like combination of talent on paper combined with, you know, realization of what they did throughout the year? I don't think so. Maybe, uh, you know, the Miami, the first Miami Heat team that beat uh, OKC, that was a really good team, but I don't think they're quite there. Not You know, Wade wasn't really 100% in the playoffs. Etc. Etc. But here's another question: Has there been a more talented top two than than Curry and Durant on a championship team? I mean, Curry almost averaged a thirty point triple double in the finals, and he was second best player on his team. Um, I mean, that's gonna that you'd have to. You have to take a lot into consideration there. <clears throat> he he's scoring wise, maybe not, but Curry's a huge liability on defense. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have him. Not as much this year. He wasn't great, and they he, still I mean, had, they had not, to hide him a not, lot, especially in the finals. He wasn't playing like they had to hide him on J.R. Smith for a reason. Like he's not good enough. He wasn't a good enough defender to even try to play Kyrie Irving. Like he didn't at all. They had, uh, they had Clay Thompson on him the whole way. And the same, I mean, and vice versa. But, I don't know. I mean, as far as best two tandem, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, obviously, how Scotty and Jordan played, I mean, that to me, that was the best, not only one of the most like severely threatening scoring duos, but also arguably the greatest defensive pair of all time. Yeah, I feel you, man. Because that's like. the thing that people forget about Jordan, too, is that he was all NBA defense just about every year that he was in the league. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, from that era, uh, the three best defenders for me are uh, perimeter defenders. It was uh, Jordan, Pippen, and Peyton. I don't really even have an order for him. Yeah. But those are my three. But anyway, um, all of this... All of this historical comparison stuff is tricky, and it's, I don't know. I, I don't see the merit in it a lot of times. Since the Bulls, for sure. And this is coming from someone who's a huge LeBron fan. Yeah. I've, I watch the finals every year since I've, you know, followed the NBA in the early 90s. And I just got to give it, I mean. Kobe, I'll, wait, 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 wait. Kobe and Shaq are in the, are in the discussion for best two top players. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, I think it's, it's, I don't know if, I don't know if Curry Durant are as good as Shaq Kobe. Well, how about this? How about 
best two offensive players? Shaq Kobe. Better than Curry Durant? I would rather, if I was playing, I mean, Kobe Bryant is one of the greatest all-time scorers, like, scorers of all time. Curry is one of the greatest shooters of all time. Don't get me wrong. I don't know, man. I don't know. Just because Shaq's Shaq's incredible dominance, and I think Kobe has more of a killer mentality than Curry, and I would be more afraid of him. I would be more afraid of a Shaq Kobe than I would Curry Durant, to be honest. Because I don't think that you can... I think you can plan for a Curry Durant. I don't think you can plan for a Shaq Kobe prime when Shaq is just like blasting people in the paint, destroying them. And Kobe is... I mean, Kobe is Kobe Bryant. You know, he's... Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, and part of the reason Durant and Curry were so successful is because you can't focus all on them. For one, you have to worry about the other one. And you can't really, like, consistently double-team anyone on the Warriors. You can't leave Klay Thompson open. Uh, Draymond Green, you know, his scoring is down, you know, almost just by law of numbers. I mean, he's not going to take the shots, but he's an amazing passer. Yeah, he is an incredible passer, for sure. Extremely underrated passer. I don't think people... He he does all the dirty work. I don't think people really uh, touch on Draymond's gifted passing enough. Well, that's how he gets triple-doubles without scoring 10 points, I mean. Oh, yeah. And he was incredible. He was the main reason that I really thought, uh, well, I mean, besides Durant, obviously, the difference between this year's Warriors and last year's. Draymond was, you know, he was wiling out last year, way too cocky. You know, he obviously got suspended and fucked it up. Uh, This year, he was locked in. I mean, he only had, you know, a couple texts before... uh, (laughs) For that dubious uh, game four in the finals. Yeah. And uh, he was locked in. You can tell he was trying to win. He saved it for the parade and all that to, you know, pull his dream on shit. Yeah, there were no involuntary, like, appendage movements. Yeah. There was one part, there was one point in game five where LeBron tussled up with him and got on top of him. And was kind of doing the same thing that he did in last year's where he kind of stood over him. And Draymond just kind of like laughed it off. Because they were, it was already like well into the fourth and they were up. And they were, I think it was kind of oh, like. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I remember that. Like it was like the last ditch effort kind of to get in somebody's head. And it didn't really work. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well I guess to wrap up uh, that finals and the season. I mean, yeah, they're the rubber match of the two uh, the two kings of the NBA right now, and really the whole rest of the NBA has changed. I think because of uh, the dominance of these teams, especially Golden State, which kind of leads us into uh, what's going on right now. Yeah, uh, few, let's let's start this off with the most obvious, which is uh, Griffin being out in Cleveland. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, Gilbert, uh, Dan Gilbert, the Cavs owner, he has not extended one general manager since he's been the owner. No, I think he is definitely, I mean, it's his team. He likes everybody to know that it's his team, and he's going to make these executive decisions. Um, and I think that's just how it is when you have, when you play for an owner that's this engaged. 
for better yeah. or for worse, I think it's ultimately a detriment to the longevity and the health of the team. But I will say this. <clears throat> regarding Griffin, so he came back the same year that LeBron came back. He was brought in. And he was charged with spending as much money as, as he needed to. I mean, obviously, they don't give a shit about the luxury tax or anything like that. Highest well, paid, highest paid team. Highest paid team in, I mean, in the league for consistently for the past three years. Highest well, I think payroll. does care about the luxury tax. Right. You don't, don't want to pay a non-player. Grip was demanding a lot of money. He's like a hot commodity right now. Yes, but if you look at, as far as bringing player talent in, he kind of had the keys to the kingdom. And it was kind of like, you know, it's right even from the letter when LeBron came back, it was like, go spend what you have to spend, construct a super team, let's win some championships. And when you get that amount of money and you only win one out of three, I'm not so sure that it was an irrational firing. I mean, with that amount of money, three years in a row, you have the highest payroll and you're not, I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I mean, I won't say it's uh, completely irrational. I mean, for one, he's the owner. It's his choice. But, uh, and you can't say Griffin did a perfect job either. I mean, uh, they're very bereft of uh, young talent, picks, and that kind of thing. They haven't really developed anyone. Sure. And granted, that even falls from prior to Griffin coming back. All of their missed opportunities in the draft were all pre-Griffin. Yeah. Well, to me, though, here, here's my here's my issue. My main issues with the Griffin firing. Um, well, I guess he wasn't fired, just uh, not extended. Yeah. But uh, I mean, terrible timing. I mean, what's Cleveland going to be able to do? I mean, who's running the ship over there? When uh, I mean, this is crunch time right now. The draft is Thursday. They're making these plays, you know, at George and Butler. Although I've heard that. Uh, Actually, Gilbert wanted Griffin to do a big splash. That's why you've heard these last couple of days all the, uh, you know, Paul George, Jimmy Butler uh, trade talks with Cleveland. I guess Griffin was trying to get something done. That's what Gilbert wanted, but he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't give up too much for those guys. Right. I would have imagined that Kyrie would have been on the table. Kyrie is not on the table. No, 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 no. I, I, there, something tells me that there were opportunities that Griffin passed up that may have involved Kyrie Irving, and him passing them up upset Gilbert. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it's very possible for sure. And uh, yeah, LeBron, you know, sent out that tweet about it, kind of supporting Griffin and whatnot. But uh, I wonder if it's really going to be a as big a deal as some are making it out to be. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is for sure LeBron is leaving Cleveland next season because he's pissed that uh, you know Griffin wasn't extended. And sure, he liked Griffin, but I mean, I think we already know who calls the shots in Cleveland as far as personnel goes. Yeah, and we, also, we do also already know that that person calling the shots doesn't like LeBron James. And LeBron James does not like that person. 
Like that sure. that has never been like a pleasant relationship. They've never they've never gotten along. I mean, Gilbert wrote the letter after the announcement. That was kind of like good riddance. And <clears throat> you know, I mean, he he took some shots there and now well, Gil- Gilbert, you have to wonder. He's, he's honestly he's a terrible person and a terrible owner. Like he's a shitty dude. This company, Quicken Loans, they pretty much got rich off uh, scamming people, like poor people, you know, into taking these shitty loans. Gilbert's a slimy dude, man. That's neither here nor there, though. I mean, without getting too much into, like, economics or anything like that, or or anything. I'm just saying, Cleveland's big right now because uh, it happens to be the home team of an all-time great who they were lucky enough to draft in the first place, and then suck enough after he left, you know, to have the time talent to draw him back. Aside from that, I mean, really, they're the same old bottom-dweller franchise. Yeah, see, uh... When LeBron is gone, they immediately went back to being the worst team in the league. Right. You're reinforcing my point here. So I don't think that it's, I mean, I don't think that it, I think it is a big deal. Because I think it kind of reinforces that it's still Dan Gilbert. And with the relationship that Dan Gilbert already had with LeBron James, without putting any kind of like moralistic judgments on it, I think it still reinforces that Dan Gilbert very much is in control and that the doorway for LeBron to leave now is very much open. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I guess what, what I was kind of uh, going off on there and that rambling about Dan, Dil- Dan Gilbert is uh, LeBron already knows all this shit. He didn't like Dan Gilbert when he came back. He probably never liked him in the first place. It's not like... That's what I'm saying. And LeBron's like, oh... Gilbert's a terrible dude. He doesn't know what he's doing. LeBron already knows this shit. Right, right. But here's the thing. Especially when you come back and with like he did with the with the uh, Sports Illustrated article. I mean, he was orchestrating trades, essentially. Kind of as a, a preface to him even coming back with the, the Kevin Love trade. Um, when you do that, and you kind of seems like... And he's been very much involved in a lot... Oh, all of the decision-making going on in Cleveland as far as personnel is concerned, as far as getting rid of David Blatt, bringing in Ty Lue, and like not even just on a player level, on like a management level. Like LeBron has been at least consulted on it and at least had a say. The firing of Griffin was done without any LeBron, like just completely void of any of his input or anything like that. And I think that's when... That's LeBron likes to be in control, and I think Gilbert reestablishing control, which is essentially what he was doing, because I mean, really, it was LeBron's team. LeBron was making all the moves. LeBron was the guy recruiting. The guy, LeBron was the guy who got the coach fired. I mean, that's that's what. Well, he, you're saying all that. None of that shit's really proven. I mean, that's what. Well, I mean, come on. If you see the writing on the wall, if you don't think Le, you think LeBron James is going in like he, like Kawhi Leonard and just kind of like keeping his mouth shut and doing his job? No, like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I like to joke about it and stuff, but uh, from a lot of the reports I've read, too, I mean, Griffin really does have some say. It's kind of a collaborative process between him and, him and LeBron. Well, sure. Of course, well, of that's course even... you consult. Why wouldn't you consult LeBron, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. 
and then you don't consult him when you fire the general manager. Like, I think it's because I think a lot of people had looked at it, they had kind of started to look at it like LeBron James's team. And I think what Dan Gilbert was doing was reshifting that perception to show that nobody's really safe. And LeBron had even, like, LeBron had stumped for Griffin's extension. He wanted him to sign for, I think, another five years or something like that. And Gilbert was like, uh, yeah, he disregarded. He saying he wanted an extension, for sure. He had disregarded that. So I think, I think it does matter, and I think it does at least push an already leaning LeBron at least a little bit closer to moving to L.A. I mean, his wife just announced the other day that she's moving to L.A. full-time. His kids go to school out there. They go to school during the basketball season when he would be at least half the time in Cleveland. I think it makes sense. I mean, he wants to get into, like, business. He wants to become a business mogul. He wants to eventually own his own team. He's going to maximize his revenue in Los Angeles. Uh, it, it does matter. I'm just saying that. Uh... LeBron's really bigger than Dan Gilbert and his GM situation. If he's planning on moving to LA in a season or two, that's going to happen no matter what happened with Griffin. I mean, Griffin can still orchestrate a trade for LeBron. Like, LeBron is still just a player. Like, he's still, I mean, and if. Griffin can't orchestrate a trade for sure. Or um, Gilbert can. Great got a job. Gilbert, can, <laughs> Gilbert can still orchestrate a trade. He can still do what he has to do. I mean,. If Gilbert he really Gilbert, wanted to, it, like... I think Gilbert is out of touch. I think... They better get a GM in soon, because... I don't know. That was, that was my part... That was my worst uh, beef with the move. I mean, this is the time to strike while the iron is hot. There's all this stuff going on with, uh, you know, incoming free agents and uh, the Pacers seeming to get rid of George. I mean, this is the time, and you're going to fire, you know, the head of your dragon... When uh, <laughs> it is really bad timing. Yeah, I I don't think that <clears throat> I'm just I'm not going to be surprised if LeBron James leaves in 2018. I'm not going to be shocked either. I mean, really, what did he say? I'm going to win one for the land. Not Miami, where he said not one, not two, not three, not four. He said over and over again, I'm going to win one for the land. I'm win one for the land. Right. And he did. Yeah. And I see what you're saying, too. I mean, if, you know, Gilbert's out there making himself look like a dumbass, you know, the franchise is looking silly while you got this juggernaut in Golden State handling everything correctly. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. easier for LeBron from a PR standpoint to go wherever he wants. But I'm also saying that Griffin, and as we both agreed on, LeBron had a lot of consulting in these moves. Griffin didn't, didn't make the best use of all that money. If he did, yeah, they, if he did, they would be three for three. Well, he happens to be in an era of uh, the Golden State Warriors. Otherwise, he very well could be three for three, or at least two for three. At least two for three, but he wasn't. I, One I, for three. Yeah. They did well with what they were up against, I think. But either way, he's gone now. Well, let's 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 move on from that to uh, the Paul George situation. Yeah, this goes. I think this is all. This is all tied together here. I, it's it's all interchangeable. Uh, Cleveland's going to be trying to negotiate a trade with Indiana. All they really have is love. 
They don't have young players. They don't have any assets. They don't have draft picks. They really don't have anything. They have Kevin Love. Well, first let's first let's go into what Paul George said. The why Indiana is in this predicament because Paul George told Indiana he was going to play out his contract and he was gone, which uh, which on its own would be considerate to tell a team you're going to leave, trade me, get some value. You know, usually uh, teams appreciate that instead of being left, you know, high and dry at the end, like a Lamarcus Aldridge. But uh, he also made his tensions clear to everyone that he intends on signing with the Lakers as soon as he's a free agent, which kills his trade value because uh, pretty much any team that w- would want him, aside from the Lakers, would be uh, getting him as a one-year rental. So it's not worth as much as a player under contract or a free agent signing because you got, you're getting a dude that might bolt. So the Pacers are in kind of a precarious uh, situation here. Right. That being said, the Pacers are obviously looking to rebuild. So I would think what is more important to them, instead of getting um, a 28-year-old with bad knees that has a history of shoulder problems, uh, would be going after picks. And I did just see that the Los Angeles Lakers <clears throat> had been in discussions with the Sacramento Kings to trade the second overall pick for the fifth and the tenth and then offer that to Indiana to get Paul George. So if the asking... The fifth and the tenth? The fifth and the tenth from Sacramento in exchange for the second and then they would take the fifth and the tenth and give it to Cleveland or to Indianapolis, pardon me, for Paul George. So if the asking price, and Sacramento said no. If the asking price is in that range, Cleveland doesn't have a shot. Well, what if Indiana is willing to give up, um, or sorry, if the Lakers are willing to give up the number two pick, why wouldn't they just offer that to Indiana? Indiana doesn't want the second pick. The second pick's not as valuable as having two top, five, top ten picks in this draft. Yeah, this draft is stacked. I mean, that's why Sacramento didn't take it. Although, I mean, Sacramento needs all the help they can get. But it's... So, Indiana's out there. They, they don't want the number two pick for Paul George. That's not enough for them. It's not enough. See, that surprises me, and it kind of changes my stance, because I was thinking that there's a very good chance they would just trade for love. Um, in a vacuum, it doesn't sound like a great trade, because obviously they're rebuilding. they got a young Miles Turner. They want to go after picks. But I was kind of thinking with... Paul George thing, everyone knows he's going to the Lakers. They wouldn't really get, people wouldn't be offering them uh, these high draft picks in this draft. Well, that's I think, true. I'm surprised that they would, t- turning down the number two pick for a player that's told you that he's gone? I think. That's surprising to me. Well, Sacramento turned down that deal, the the five and the ten for the two. But I can only imagine, I mean, it would only, only be logical that the Lakers would have offered that number two pick straight up. And then that was turned down. So then they went to Sacramento and said, hey, we'll give you the two for the five and the ten. So here's, here's what I have heard a little bit out there and seen a little bit out there. Is and if, Russell's gone. Yeah, Russell's gone. But if you're Paul George and you're, you've been playing kind of aimlessly in Indianapolis for the past, what, two years, would you say? I mean, since they've really been truly competitive. 
Um, yeah. If you go I somewhere, could have saw a team the year before, but yeah, you're right. If you go somewhere like <laughs> you go somewhere like Boston, and it's not L.A. It's I mean, he grew up in Palmdale. It's definitely not Palmdale. But you go somewhere like that, and say you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, or I mean, just hypothetically speaking, make it to the finals. If they're able to sign, you know, Gordon Hayward as well, or get Jimmy Butler, uh, you start to wonder how much do I want to go home, or how much do I want to stay here and take another shot. You know, I mean, if they're able to put together a good team and Paul George lands on that team, even for one year, it doesn't necessarily, like, it's not set in stone anywhere that he's going to L.A. next year. Like, that's just what he said. I want to be there. If they're able to, if he's able to get on a team where they can actually win, I think that could change the discussion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why the Lakers are offering things right now. Exactly. But, uh... And it I think that be team, better be a team that makes it to the finals because Paul George has been to the conference finals and lost to LeBron already multiple times. Losing to LeBron on a very good team is not going to make a difference to him if he has his heart set on LA. Well, and I think, I, I think going to Boston, if they're able to put together a team, if they're able to pick up another high caliber wing like Hayward, which looks very good for them. Or Butler, which also looks very good for them. Uh, I think they would be able to get Cleveland. Give Cleveland, like I mean, like that's that's a damn good team if they can put up pick up two more wings like that, two top top ten, top fifteen wings. I mean, with so they'd be losing like you know to replace Crowder and maybe Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley's great, but I'm de- I'm definitely taking either Paul George or Jimmy Butler above him. I, yeah. I think I think you have a team. I think Cleveland gets a little gets a little worried about Boston if they're that if that team gets stacked up. Oh yeah, and so they I think they do have a shot. Houston is uh, <laughs> they're uh, they're loaded with assets. I right. Mean, and let's talk about this trade they just did of the the number one pick for the number three. What do you think about it? I think it makes sense. I mean, if they did, they didn't love Markel Fultz, uh, if he's not a good fit for them, and they didn't want, if they don't want to do the whole, the whole dance with Isaiah Thomas, uh, Simmons made a really good point on his podcast the other day. Uh, Isaiah Thomas is like, like a cultural icon there now. You know, I mean, since like Paul Pierce, one of the biggest things in Boston basketball. He's beloved. I mean, Tom Brady. Like, Tom Brady's a big fan on record. Right. And shit. So I, it's, I think, I think they're in a in a situation now where they don't have to pay him as much. They like they don't have to give Isaiah Thomas max money this year. No. So I I don't think they want to muddy the waters. I think they want to give Isaiah Thomas another year, and they don't want to muddy the waters with a number one overall point guard coming in, playing, you know, behind him not being comfortable coming off the bench. Fultz wants to start. You know, Fultz wants to be an immediate player. Isaiah Thomas doesn't want to come off the bench. He's already done that. He doesn't want to do that anymore. So I think it kind of makes sense from Boston's perspective to, to go out there and if they can get somebody like Fox or uh, yeah. Jackson, who fits a little better with their squad, actually. I mean, 
Well, I was thinking Go for that. It. I was thinking switching from number one to number three is a pretty clear vote of confidence for Isaiah because yeah. uh, even though it changes a lot, the consensus top two are Fultz and Ball, which might not be true, but you know that's kind of what everyone said. Well, and I think this goes back to the Lakers thing as well with that Paul George proposal with Sacramento. I mean, obviously, if they're willing to offer Sacramento the second round, the second pick overall, may maybe they're not too hot to try. On uh, on ball as much as everybody was saying. Yeah. Oh, another thing though, Fultz and uh, Isaiah both went to Washington. Right. They want to play together. I don't think there's an issue of uh, Fultz and Isaiah having beef. They've been on record saying you know, no, no, they, can, they can be alternating guards, but maybe Boston didn't see it that way. Yeah, I don't think. I I don't think that they're beefing. They have beef individually, but I think organizationally. I don't think they wanted to do what Phoenix did with Isaiah Thomas a few years ago that caused him to be traded to Boston, where you have a glut of talented point guards that becomes like a, you know, a bottleneck and kind of a shit show on your, on your team and cause, like sows the seeds of discord. Like they, all, they say that now, but you don't know six months down the end of the season who's feeling like they need to get the chip and who's salty about sitting on the bench and stuff like that. I think the Phoenix experiment, I, like to me, like that was the that's what happens when you put Isaiah Thomas in with like other capable point guards that they have to fight for time for. He ends up getting traded. Like it's not it's not a good scenario. And he's already been down that route. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Boston too is that um, they can do whatever they want. They have they still have like insane picks coming up. I mean, they just picked up. It's not. It's not a low pick. It's going to be like a, probably like a top five pick right. next year for switching down to the three. They have the Nets pick again next year. They could just draft whoever they want um, and make trades, sign free agents, however they see fit. That's why I was. I was kind of surprised because yeah, like maybe a Josh Jackson or a De'Aaron Fox, he may like fit in more with what you imagine the average Celtics player being nowadays. My first thought was, why don't they grab Fultz, someone who's he's going to be an offensive superstar. He's a good defensive player too. He's a, he's an like defensively, he would be an upgrade from Isaiah Thomas almost immediately, just because he's not five foot three. Yeah, but with, with all the defense and length they have on the Celtics, because I've heard a lot of talk about Josh Jackson, he's a really good player, but to me. You know, he's kind of like a rich, you know, going to be a rich man's Marcus Smart or something like that, you know, at his peak. Why wouldn't they, they already have all those kind of dudes, the Crowders and Smarts and Bradley, the long defensive guys. Why wouldn't they get Fultz, who could be a generational offensive talent, who can, unlike Isaiah, hold his end on the other side of the floor? I mean, they brought him in, and they worked him out, and... That's what they did. Uh, I mean, no. Well, it was my first thought on it, but thinking a little bit more on it, with all the assets that they have, they can take who they want, and they can trade. If they want Josh Jackson, they could trade Marcus Smart and you know a first rounder and get someone who can play offense. They can really do whatever they want. They have the most obscene amount of uh, future assets and current talent that I've ever seen. 
What do you think the chances are that they try to move this number three pick on draft night? <laughs> for a for a player. For a player, you could you could probably command a princely sum, a kingly sum. I think it's very high. I think they they're gonna go after, you know, aside from Hayward and free agency, they're gonna make some trades. I mean, you can't just sit on all the, you know, all these assets forever. You can secure a Jimmy Butler with that top three pick. Yeah, although Butler, did you hear he just came out this evening saying that he wants to stay in uh, Chicago? Yeah, well, he said he didn't want to play for Cleveland. But, again, I mean, <clears throat> that's... It's not really up to him. Like, as I can see Butler wanting to go to Boston. Yeah. I well, can actually see George wanting to team up with LeBron more than I could see Butler. Butler likes to be the alpha. I could see... I think he would enjoy going to Boston, you know, being the leader of these young guys, you know, being the team that could uh, supplant LeBron on the Eastern Conference drum. I think he'd enjoy that. Yeah, and I, but I see Gar Pax uh, being more inclined to take a number three pick for him than, than Love, obviously. Like, nobody else, had, nobody else has anything to throw at them. If they really want to go after him, uh, you're not going to beat anything like that. Chicago doesn't need love. No, they wouldn't want him anyway. There's no, I don't think there's any way, realistic way for Cleveland to get Jimmy Butler. I think all of these reports were kind of a, a misdirection. Well, and it was Griffin because uh, he was working for his job to make one of these trades. I think that's why all the reports came out. Right, but I don't really, I don't really know what they would have even offered. I don't think it's going to happen. Like, what do you even offer? Well, they were trying to do a three-way trade. Right. Get a pick and then flip it over. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think teams are that interested in facilitating, you know, the kind of trade that would bolster Cleveland and Golden State, unless it's just a clear victory for them. Yeah, I don't either. Especially if it's the Bulls. You know, their fans would revolt like you. <laughs> you don't want to see the Bulls, you know, assisting the Cleveland Empire. No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't like that at all. I don't. It bugs me when Bears Probably players go to. It makes you want to vomit right now. It, it bugs me when Bears players go to, to Minnesota and Green Bay the same way that I'm sure it bugs you when 49ers players go up to Seattle. Right. I don't like the. I don't like the interconference stuff. Right. Keep it out of the conference. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Although the 49ers players can go anywhere they want, just be gone. We need some new dudes. But yeah, that's a whole other story. That's fair. Uh, so, I guess Dwight that. Howard. What's that? Dwight Howard. Mm -hmm. On the Hornets now. Yeah, for not really all that much. Oh, I got it right in front of me here. <laughs> Dwight Howard in the 31st pick traded to the Hornets for Miles Plumley. Marco Bellinelli and the forty-first pick. Cap space. <laughs> oh man, Dwight is a—he's getting a—he's getting passed around like the village of bicycle right now. Yeah, um, it's kind of like as much of a douchebag as Dwight has built him up to himself up to be, or at least appear over the past several years, I mean, this is a precipitous fall to go from having billboards in L.A. to being traded for a Plumlee. 
<laughs> I mean, and the worst Plumley. The worst Plumley. Mason is, will fall at Miles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the worst Plumley is. That's that's just sad, man. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And they got a lower pick. They traded the thirty-first for the forty-first. Yeah, uh, I, they really just want that cap space. And I was seeing something that was saying that Schroeder, the way that he runs it, it's very much like a run-and-gun offense. You know, he wants to spread the floor, he wants to pass, he wants to keep the pace high. I imagine they want to play something more similar to Portland's style of offense. And you can't do that when Dwight Howard is lumbering up and down the floor. Yeah, and it's not just Atlanta. I think that... Uh... You know, aside from just aging, you know, kind of some uh, back injuries and whatnot, ex- you know, accelerated him losing his uh, athleticism. Um, it's just the changing of the NBA, you know, the style to the, uh, you know, the pace and space league, I think has uh, also had a lot to do with uh, Dwight becoming less and less relevant. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't, he doesn't have an offensive game. His only offensive game for, uh, you know, Orlando was going up for dunks and whatnot when he was huge and more athletic than almost everyone he went against. Yeah. He doesn't have that. I mean, what does he really have? No, and he said at the end of the season uh, he was going to practice his three-point shooting. Dwight's three-point shooting? That's what Dwight said at the end of the season. He he said that he was going to spend all summer working on his three-point shooting, but... uh, yeah, I'm going to work on my uh, slam dunking this summer, too. Yeah, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and try and do that as well. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe Kaminsky will teach him a thing or two. <laughs> Man, yeah, both these teams are just... Uh, the trade just feels so irrelevant. Yeah, it does feel irrelevant. It does, I think, it, I mean, Charlotte missed the playoffs last year. After making and being like a surprisingly good team the year before, uh, I think they needed to do something, and they had they wanted Durant or not Durant they wanted Dwight for a, a long time. Like there's been rumors of Charlotte going after him. I mean, kind of since he left uh, L.A. Yeah. So like they did something, but Atlanta. Atlanta really is focusing on Millsap. They're gonna tr- they're gonna be able to throw more money at Tim Hardaway Jr., who they like. Yeah, I like Hardaway Jr. too. I mean, I like I like the new Hawks plus Millsap. A Schroeder's. I like, what, a, I, like I like what they're doing too. Torian Prince. Torian Prince is a fucking monster. Is he a monster? Torian Prince? I, I do like him. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call him a monster. Quite Dude, yet. he's going to be incredible. I think this next year, he's going he's gonna to be... He, he might be one of the marquee players. He's in, He was great. He, I was shocked at how well he played. Yeah, I think you watched him a little bit more than me. I did see him a little bit, though. Uh, those Hawks bench units were like tearing shit up at the end of the regular season. Yeah, watch Torian Prince. Watch him come out. He's going he's gonna to get... He's going to get his next year. I, mean, I, I think this opens it up for him. I think Atlanta knows that, and I think Atlanta wants to give him more more of a role. And, and having him with Durant, or, God, I keep saying Durant, with Dwight there, 
I think, mucks that up a little too much. Yeah, no, for sure. It makes sense. It makes sense for both teams. I mean, the Hornets aren't going to contend anyway. Get a guy that's going to, you know, put some uh, put some fans out there in the seats. Yeah, for sure. Um, I get it. You hear about the Clippers? Uh, yeah. Shop Andre Jordan around. I did. I heard that they had they had tried to make a deal with Phoenix for the number three pick, and Phoenix said no. Yeah, number four. Number four. Phoenix. Thank you. I don't know. I don't know if they said no or if they just hung up the phone immediately. Yeah. I mean, they called them. It's it's a it was 120 degrees here today, so there's a good chance that I mean, the call wasn't even able to be completed. They might have thought they were hallucinating. Yeah. Maybe Clip LA should just cool it, you know, give it a few days, allow the temperature to fall below 110, <laughs> call them back. People will be a little more uh, chilled out, if you will. Well, maybe, maybe that was their game plan. Maybe they thought this was the time to strike with a DeAndre Jordan. Uh, deal. Yeah, hit them when they're delirious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this draft is insane, man. I'm really looking forward to Thursday. Yeah. I'm going to be gone camping, but... Well... I'll be I'm watching still it. Work whatever happens. I'm gonna oh, need a. Sure. I'm gonna need a detailed recap from you. Right. Uh, I still think that it that Jordan has a good chance of leaving. I think the Clippers are gonna be a uh, garbage within uh, two years. I think they just. I think they're blowing it up. I think Blake's gone. Uh, and I wouldn't. I mean, in CP3. They're like you know. They're their big three is. Not really a big three anymore. Uh, I mean, even if even if even if they stay there, I mean, they can't even get past uh, you know Utah. They did lose Blake. They literally can't beat Golden State. I don't think they beat them since like Sterling was like you know ousted. Right. Owner. Not that that's you know lots of people can't beat Golden State, but yeah, in two years' time. That could be Austin Rivers' team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not a good look. Not a good look. DeAndre is valuable to, to the right team. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I mean... He's, he's a great defense player, great rebounder, you know. Yeah, I, I know he can still possible. finish at the rim, too. But imagine if, you know, DeAndre Jordan on a, you know, JaVale McGee's place on Golden State or something like that. Or Orlando. Oh, yeah, Orlando, yeah. Get a little pick and roll with uh, Alfred Payton. The only thing is that it clogs up the lane, and then you kind of hinder Aaron Gordon, who can't shoot for shit outside of, you know, five feet. It seems like in today's NBA, you can only get away with one terrible offensive player. Yeah, especially if they're big, you know. Yeah. I mean, if that's all you have and the rest of your team can ball, it's extremely valuable to have somebody who can gobble up all those, uh, you know, rebounds and can be a rim protector in the paint. Which, and I guess this kind of goes back to even the Charlotte trade. I mean, they have their they have their scorers, so they don't even need Dwight to score. I mean, Kemba Walker has no problem putting the basketball in the hoop. Well, Kemba doesn't. They got some other guys that can't. The kid Gilchrist can't put the ball in the hoop. No, because he has a crazy, crazy, crazy shot. <laughs> he does. Just like, just like Lonzo Ball, man. I mean... Uh, players yeah, with players with wacky about, jump shots just don't work. Let's talk about Lonzo. 
you think uh, think he's worth the number two pick? I don't. I don't think so. But I, I do. I do want to tie this into the uh, D'Angelo Russell trade. All right. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. So D'Angelo Russell got moved to uh, Brooklyn, along with Mozgov, for Brook Lopez. And what was the other piece of that deal here? It just happened today. The 28th or 29th pick. In the 28th. Because now they have the 20, LA has the 27th and the 28th pick in the draft. Right. Yeah, it makes sense on both sides to me. Yeah, definitely. D'Angelo, like Russell's only 21. Russell's only 21. Uh, you know, if they really want to rebuild him, they can rebuild him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Jeremy Wynn. But they kept, like, Kyrus Levert, who really was their only, like, other really promising young player. Yeah. So they'll have a decent young backcourt. Yeah, well, they got those hats, man. Yeah, <laughs> but I and, and uh, I think it makes so much sense for LA. I mean, really, they're the two biggest things that they could have done outside of getting a Paul George or anything like that uh, via trade is losing the Mozgov contract, which was, I mean, what is it, seventy-one million? Yeah, that was terrible. So they have to they they got rid of that. They got that off their books. Uh, they got to figure out what to do with the Lowell Dang con- contract, which is still floating around there. Uh, once they do that, they're, all the rest of their players are pretty much on rookie scale. Like they have, they're going to have a lot of cap space. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it makes sense. And I think Russell, I do think he still has potential. I mean, you're not drafted number two for nothing. Uh, he's already, you know, pretty solid offensive player. But I think to play in LA, especially for the Lakers, you gotta be uh, you gotta be tough mentally to be a superstar there. I I, I don't think he was ever gonna pan out in LA. Yeah, he's pretty young, but he just doesn't. Uh, I don't think he has it all between the ears. Um, I I still think that the, their young core. I mean, they have Larry Nance Jr., who's great. But I think Brandon Ingram. I'm not that he had a a less kind of, I mean, he kind of disappointed some people last year, but I think that's stupid. How was he, like, 12 years old? Yeah, exactly. He weighed, like, like 70 pounds. Wet, like, soaking wet. He's, he's 70 pounds. Yeah. So let him get in, let him settle in, you know, he'll, he'll get there. There were glimpses that, of him being really good. Julius Randle is still really great. Uh, I think he has a lot of potential. They're, they're in good shape. They got Zubak. Ivan Zubak, you can't. I mean, that's that's going to be a great young squad. And what they're doing really well is positioning them to, for the, themselves for the future. And they've got a pledge from Paul George. They got a pledge may, from Paul may, George. May, not, may or may not work out, but they could they could still get LeBron next year. I mean, they can still trade for George too. Yeah, it's true. I, uh, I mean, they, and then they have like, a shitload of picks. Like the LA looks, LA Lakers look good. They're in good. Good position right now. I don't think, I think the the balance of power is going to shift back to the traditional balance of power in LA here. I think this little 
blip on the on the radar where the Clippers and the Lakers, like the Clippers were better than the Lakers. I think that's that's run its course. I think we're going to start to see it. The teeter totter is going to start to swing back the other way. Yeah, and uh, for as upset as you were about uh, the officiating and all the uh, free throws awarded to uh, Cleveland in their elimination game, as far as the NBA being rigged, how about uh, Boston and LA getting the one and two picks in this year's draft? <laughs> yeah, I mean that. The Boston one, obviously, that was just because the Nets were so atrocious. Like, the Nets far and away had the had the best chances of getting that number one pick because they were the worst team in the league. So percentage-wise, it's that's not that shocking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just fucking with you. No, no, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, you know. LA's going to draft Lonzo, man. I think they will. Yeah. And to get back to my opinion on Lonzo... I think it's tough. I think he has, there's obviously a lot of baggage just because of like, you know, the extreme uh, media attention with his dad and whatnot. But uh, Lonzo, to me, he doesn't seem that phased by it. It's hard, you know, it's hard for me to read a young dude's mind like that as far as that goes. But I will say, uh, even with the broken jump shot, He's like a savant passer. I know we've had talks, you know, it's a real short list, the dudes that we name as, a, you know, kind of savant Jason Kidd passers. You know, they just have otherworldly talent for it. Yeah, I'll bring up... Lonzo's, Lonzo's on that list. I mean, I watched him quite a bit uh, playing in the Pac-12, watching uh, Oregon and UCLA games. He pretty much rolled the, over. The play. He, he's, he's, an, he's an insanely good passer. He rolled over in the tournament. He rolled over. He got his ass whomped by, by Fox. Aaron Fox gave him the business. Yeah, he ran him out of the court. I'm not going to judge the dude on uh, one game in the tournament. No, no, no. But here's what I'm going to say. Uh, how he ended the game, how he just kind of was like, whatever, I'm going to the NBA. Didn't like that. Two, I'll bring up two people that have both been labeled as savant passers in the past 10 years that didn't have a jump shot. And one of them is Alfred Payton, and the other one is Ricky Rubio. Neither of them. And, and Ricky Rubio plays incredible defense and is a far better defender when he was coming into the league. He was already a better defender than Lonzo Ball is now. You know, when they were at the same level. Rubio was at, has always been able to at least play very good defense. Lonzo Ball can't play defense that great. Uh Big difference though between Lonzo and those guys. Lonzo is a—he's an elite athlete. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I've just—you you see it all. The, you see it when players are brought in as being incredible passers, but don't have a jump shot. I mean, let's remember, Philly traded for the number three—the number three pick, traded the number three pick for the number one pick, even though they have somebody who has a busted jump shot and is a savant passer sitting on their bench as well. That's true. Oh, yeah. Well, just to wrap that up real quick, I think it's almost risky to pass on Lonzo and it's risky to draft him for all the reasons we just said. If he can get his jump shot up to respectable with his passing ability and his athleticism, he can definitely be a Jason Kidd-type player who also never had a great jump shot, but he got it up to decent enough where his overall package was, you know, he was overwhelming, overwhelming enough for him to be a superstar. 
He but also honestly, he never won a Jason Kidd never Jason Kidd never won a championship until he learned how to take a three point shot though. It wasn't until he was on that Dallas team that beat Cleveland that he was able to shoot from outside that they actually that he actually won. Yeah, well, there's lots of great players that don't win championships. But he but, did win. But, I mean, Kidd won the championship. Like he won a championship. But anyway, sure. I think. Won the championship. I think. No, I'm just kidding. It was a great team effort. I think it's. Yeah, Jason Terry played great that year. Um, I could talk about that Dallas team all day. We'll save that for another pod. Then. I think. It would be. I think there's a good chance that somebody like uh, Smith out of NC State, somebody like that who's a little farther down, is going to be, or Scott, is going to be one of the better players to come out of this draft and might actually end up being a better player. I didn't really watch him that much, but uh, I watched a few of his clips after reading a bit about him. He sounds pretty insane. I guess yeah. Boston be considering him. He's good. He's good. I think he, there's a chance he could be better than Fultz, who has a reoccurring injury issue, hurt his knee twice in, in high school, and missed time this last season with a bum knee. Also, his team didn't even make the tournament. And... Uh, you have less question marks about his jump shot and stuff than Lonzo Ball. You also have a lot less baggage, and nobody, nobody, nobody is questioning his his heart. No. So I think people like that. I think it's going to be one of those drafts where uh, people farther down the line, there's a really good chance that they're going to end up being better than these than these top two. Yeah, I will say. Uh... Yeah, let's let's finish this up. Uh, I got some thoughts on the Sixers. Uh, no matter how much depth is in this draft, I think it's pretty much a consensus that Fultz has the best likelihood of any to become a superstar. Um, or he'll become Brandon Roy, at best. And he'll play yeah. one year, and then his knee will get all messed up. Oh come on, man! Two injuries in high school. And, no, and he missed time. This he missed time in this college season. His team, if he's the best player in college basketball, and his team isn't even close to making the the tournament, like he was the he, arguably the best player in college. This is what people are saying: to be the best player in college basketball means oh, that they're not are, saying that he's the best player in college basketball. They're but, saying that he's the best prospect to come into the NBA. It's a big difference. Dylan Brooks was the player of the year in the Pac-12. He's not even going to be, you know, probably a top, maybe not even a first-round pick. Yeah, he probably won't. Uh, it's, it's a different how, thing. If, you're, if he's so good, how can your team just... Have, com- you, have you watched him? Completely miss it. Yeah, Fultz? Yes, I have. He looks like a Westbrook out there who averaged less than 10 points a game when he was a freshman. It doesn't really matter what your college team did. I, to be honest, came off the bench in North Carolina. Well, and then he won the championship. Yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike. I mean, Michael Jordan was it? I'm just saying, team success in college. That no, Michael Jordan's year at UNC where he beat what he when he beat Georgetown and hit the shot. <laughs> I was kind of a little extreme with that example. But yeah, I'm come just on saying. Now. People uh, were calling him the best player in ACC off the bench, even though he didn't end up hitting the shot. I'm just but saying he was, he was the best player though. I mean, he came out. You know, it's it's a totally different beast. 
I'm just saying, man. Like, That's a shit book. I think I think it's people are really quick now, especially. Well, Jordan wasn't even the first pick. Now, especially. Uh, Number three. Well, yeah, Hakeem and uh, Sam Bowie. No. <laughs> no, you're right. I just didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, say- I'm saying with the Sixers, I agree with you. Fultz is not a slam dunk at all. And there's tons of quality in this draft. You don't necessarily need to kill yourself for the number one pick. But I do think Fultz is the highest potential guy in the whole draft. If he lives up to his highest potential, he'll be the best player. That's why he's the number one pick. It'll be you interesting know. to see. He's going to a good a good situation, I feel like. To, if he lives up to his potential, and if Embiid and Simmons live up to their potential, I mean, that is beyond, you know. That, that team is going to be fucking ridiculous. Like, And Saric. Saric is a great player. Saric, yeah, yeah. I mean, those dudes are like the future players, too. I mean, those are all like... Not only potential superstars, like their potential superstars in what the NBA is becoming right now. And TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell's a good player. Yeah. That's a is. good that's a good that's a good lineup. But you brought it up you brought it up with Fultz and uh, unfortunately you have to bring it up with Simmons and Embiid. All of them have sketchy injury history. Right. But still like what the Sixers are doing. They're like, Man, there's a good chance this isn't gonna work out. But if it does work out, we're going to be the team, you know, in like a four or five years. Worst yeah. of five, six years. I think the like worst if thing... Guys all, if those guys all stay healthy and they pan out, we've never seen anything like that. Even Golden State doesn't have like those kind of Swiss Army knife talents. I think it'll be interesting to see if the franchise can stay consistent enough to give them a chance. If you have... If if injuries aren't a big factor, and uh, like that whole aspect goes well, if they have a lot of coaches move in and out and stuff like that, like if it doesn't, like it's it's really like I think it's dependent on how that franchise puts in structure, because the structure there is so shaky, and there is like they don't have any legacy of like success or anything like that. I think that's a really dangerous situation for a lot of young guys without a lot of veteran leadership. So I think it's really dependent on how not only they're able to build structure with coaching and whatnot, but also how they're a- if they're able to bring in guys that will teach these guys as peers how to win. I think that's incredibly important. I think you see that with a, with a lot of the very good teams. There's guys there who are able to provide leadership and keep them from focusing on things that aren't necessarily, you know, for the best to, to the team and stuff like that. And kind of just, like, teaching them how to play and win in the NBA. I think that's going to be the main, the main thing there. Yeah, besides just staying healthy. Besides just staying healthy. Even if two of those three guys stay healthy... Along with the Sark is the who's going to be a nasty team. I uh, I'm intrigued by the potential. There is a lot of a uh, lot of things that need to go right along the way. But aside from, I mean, I don't think you trade places with any team right now in the East aside from uh, Boston or Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee. 
Cleveland for the next couple of years. But Sixers have the highest ceiling of anyone in the NBA. I so think Milwaukee does. I would, I would give that. I would give that medal to Milwaukee just because I, they have the guy who doesn't have a, a history of injury, who is also working on his three point shot and his jump shot this off season. I mean, if if Giannis can develop a three point shot. Yeah, my God, Milwaukee. I mean, they have a way. Uh, they have a way higher floor. I mean, Sixers floor. They could. They might could never even get up. You know, all those dudes can be injured. But their ceiling. All those guys. All three guys play up to their potential. Those are three generational players, possibly. I feel. I still feel like we haven't seen peak Jabari. And yeah. I think if you get a full season of Jabari Parker. Playing alongside Giannis, uh, and even if if Thon Macar keeps developing uh, the way that he develops, just even from last year, I think that's. I don't know. I'm more afraid of what Milwaukee's going to be able to do than what Philly's going to be able to do. Milwaukee, or Philly, like Philly has bigger personality with Embiid, but I, I don't know. Giannis is. Milwaukee's more of a sure thing that they're going to be competitive. I just think Philly has like the highest ceiling. Yeah, I but I mean, and Milwaukee has the better like, like Milwaukee oh, has I'm guys that have won. Yeah. Milwaukee's coached by like they. Giannis has only ever been coached in the NBA by Jason Kidd. That's true. I think Kidd's a good coach. Though. I think he's a great coach. I'm I'm not saying it. I'm saying it to their advantage. And then, oh, I got you. And I got they you. played with, and Delavadova's on the team. He just won a championship, not but two years ago, and so he, he definitely providing veteran leadership there. They have Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If I had to choose right now, who in the next, if everybody's healthy, who in the next two years has a better chance of going to the finals? I'm. I would say Milwaukee. Oh, I think without a doubt. I don't even think there's a chance the Sixers, they don't even make it to the Eastern Conference Finals in two, three, four years. I'm just saying, like, over a period of time, if all their players stay healthy and live up to their potential, that could be, like, a team that's never been seen before. So can Milwaukee, though. I'm really excited to watch features in both those teams. I mean, they're both comparable ages. That's the only thing. So, I mean, if you have, like, a 10-year spectrum, uh... I, I don't know. I would still probably put money on Milwaukee. I think Giannis can. Giannis is, has the potential to be the, like one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, he does for sure. Yeah, he does. So does Embiid. Yeah. So does Simmons. I don't. I haven't seen Simmons play in the NBA. I have no idea. And I, I mean, even with Simmons, I only saw him so in such limited amount of time in at LSU, and I mean, he was good, but he was a good passer, but he wasn't a great shooter. He couldn't shoot at all when he was at LSU. Well, shooting is a one of the most important things in the modern NBA, if not the most important thing. And also, the sh- shooting is the easiest skill to be taught in the NBA. Other than, I mean. Passing and that kind of stuff is. Uh, who know, was the last? Who was the last person you saw that was taught how to really shoot? Who that? Who was like an atrocious shooter in college? 
that came in and, and, and became a great shooter. Plenty of people. John Wall. Atrocious shooter? He could still he finish never, around the win, around the he, rim. He shit his rookie year. He shot like under 30% from three, under 40% from the field. Couldn't shoot at all except for layups. Yeah, around the rim. That's what I was trying to follow that up with. Um, he's still not a great three-point shooter. He's still not a great jump shot shooter. But his overall game is good enough where if you can get it to a respectable level, you're going to be an elite player still. Russell Westbrook isn't a great shooter. No, he's not. Top five player in the NBA, hands down. But he can take a jump shot if he has to. Because he's been taught to be able to shoot respectably since he's been in the NBA. I just don't but think it. I just don't think it's as easy. I don't think it's that easy. I don't think it's athleticism and court vision. Yeah, I don't think it's as easy to, sh- to teach people unless you have someone like they do. Like Kawhi was a shaky shooter in college, but the shooting coach in San Antonio is one of the best in the entire world. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as easy to sh- teach somebody how to shoot as some people might think. I think it's kind of a difficult thing. Oh, it's, it's not easy, but it can be done. Whereas you can't teach people like you know, have incredible uh, you know core vision and anticipation. You can't teach people to be insane athletes. No, no, you can't. At least you have a chance with shooting. Not even just teaching, but just, you know, it's your professional job that you shoot over and over and over again until you get it up. And for Dwight's sake, I hope that works for Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dwight's done. And, yeah, and uh, and and then with that, like, DeAndre should be able to shoot free throws. But... <laughs> He's gotten a little better. <laughs> yeah, it's... From from awful he to, go he should go underhand. He should go underhand, but that's already been covered. Yeah. All right. I think that's putting us at the hour twenty four mark. I think that's a good place to put the chop on it. Yeah, there's a lot. To, there's a lot of ground to cover. If anyone stuck it out with us this far, give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. Uh, you're you're probably drunk, uh, so maybe. Uh, just have another drink, I guess. You, you've made it this far. Pat yourself on the back, and then pat us on the back. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. That's right. It would help us out a lot. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Ruthless Hoops is our handle. Or SoundCloud. Or SoundCloud. Hit us up on there. Also, our email is ruthlesshoops at gmail.com. Send us a letter if you want. Uh, we're here. We're accessible. Love to hear from you. Yeah. All right. To all signing out, have a good night.